hey, 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 winners. We are back here at the Women Empowered Win podcast. I am your host, Coach Tab Manning, and I have the amazing Dr. Jasmine Kears here with me. And if you all have been listening in, um, our last segment, we covered some awesome topics. We talked about mental illness as a whole. We talked about causes of it, some um, possible symptoms of it. And Dr. Kears has just been giving us a deep dive into mental illness and everything that, well, not everything, but um, a lot of things that it encompasses. And so right now, as we came back, there was something that we touched on before, but I felt that it was very important. And as did Dr. Kearse, that we talked about sexual dysfunction. And um, so we're going to dive into that for this second segment. And then we'll go into um, the different treatment options for these mental illnesses that we've been talking about. And then also how we can, you know, offer um, support to family and friends who may be dealing with mental illness, and as well as a healthy path to recovery. So Dr. Kearse, we're going to jump right back on in this. Are you with me? Yes, I am. Yes. All right, great. And thanks for being here for two segments with me. I really appreciate it. So um, before our break, we talked about the, um, you, you wanted to dive in more to the sexual dysfunction of mental illness. And so I wanted to allow you that opportunity to do so because I feel like it's very important. Um, I think that, you know, um, a lot of us, the majority of us have had or dealt with some sort of sexual dysfunction within our family. It may not be us, but I think we all know someone who has, you know, maybe had some form of sexual trauma, whether it had been molestation or incest or things of that nature. And so I want, um, I feel like it's very important for us to, you know, to talk about that mental illness piece of it, because a lot of us may be walking around, you know, with um, a mental illness that may be stemming from that and not even be able to connect the dots on it. Right. That's very true. Um, It's really two ways that you can break this down. You have what you were just discussing where there is a traumatic piece and um, I'll go over that first. Um, What usually happens is someone might experience a sexual trauma and this may be in the form of molestation maybe when you were younger someone was inappropriately touching you or making you touch them making you strip your clothes off making you feel basically uncomfortable but you're a child and this person told you that it was okay they might have threatened you and basically exposed you to sexual acts when you should not have been exposed to it um you may have been assaulted while you were out, um, whether that's, you know, a, a brutal, like someone took you and raped you. You may have been date raped. You may have woken up and you didn't realize like, hey, I did not consent to this, but my panties are not here. I feel sore down in my vagina area. Something has happened. Um, you may also have been... Um, not even sexually assaulted, you may be someone who is a, a sex worker. And that is, um, a lot of people have a stigma against sex workers, but at the end of the day, it is a job. And um, you have your own thoughts about your, it basically employment. Um, so all of those different things can lead to a mental illness. And the biggest thing that happens with say sexual trauma is PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress um, disorder. Um, and what can happen is, is let's say you were a young child who may have been, um, molested by a family member or a neighbor or your, your mother's boyfriend, a a friend of the family, whoever the case may be, 
you experienced that trauma when you were younger. So now we have things for, that are um, PTSD symptoms such as nightmares, uh, flashbacks. You might have intrusive thoughts. You may avoid certain situations, certain certain people because of it. You feel like you startle easily, just type kind of hypervigilant, like, you know, things can really like spook you. Um, you may have just kind of almost images, um, which I like to describe as um, kind of like you're reliving that event, even if it never got to the point where there was penetration, touching someone or someone touching you, that is a violation of your body space. And that can lead to some traumatic um, thoughts and those thoughts are not healthy to um, to kind of basically sit around with and it may have happened 20 30 years ago but that still bothers you and that may be the reason on why you can't connect to let's say your mates on a certain level or why you can't seem to let your own child who is now at the age that this trauma happened to you you won't let them go anywhere and they don't understand I want to go play with my friends I want to go to my cousin's house I want to do this no you can't and you can't explain to them why they can't because you haven't connected the fact that you had the trauma at the same age. Um, so there's different things that that specific rim of mental illness um, can cause. On the other end of it, you have your sexual dysfunctions. You have things like what's called aorgasmia, which basically is an inability to have an orgasm. You would not think that the fact that I haven't had an orgasm is a mental condition, but it is. Um, it's known that, and this this is a statistic that usually blows people's mind. It's known that ten percent of women, ten percent of women, have had an orgasm. That means the other ninety percent have been faking it their whole life. They have no oh idea. Oh my orgasm. god! What? <laughs> men, men, if you ain't heard nothing else, I hope that you heard that right there. Ninety percent of women are faking it. I'm not in that 90 because I ain't faking anything. <laughs> but it's true. Um, a lot of women have never experienced an orgasm. And to be perfectly honest, some women may not even know that they haven't experienced an orgasm because you get so damn close, you're just not sure that you did not do it. <laughs> right. Um, but that is a mental illness. Um, also, things like um, having hypoactive sexual desire. So now you have this low sex drive, you have a low libido, um, you have no desire to have sex. That is a mental condition that needs to be dealt with. And then you have the issue where you want to have sex, you're probably going to have an orgasm, but you can't get to that point. It's like, I want to have sex, I'm in the act, but I am never being arose to the point that I am actually going to have this orgasm. That's not an inability to have an orgasm. That's actually an inability to be aroused. Um, so there's different things that can happen. A really big one for women that they might not realize is also a mental condition. It's called vaginiscus. And what that is, is basically the bottom third of your vagina shuts down, completely closes up. Ain't nothing going in there. <laughs> yeah, no, nothing's going in there. And it only does it when you're about to have sex. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. I am yeah. getting, uh, I'm getting a biology lesson today. <laughs> I, woo, vag, you said it's vagmeniscus? Yes, vagmeniscus. Vagmeniscus, um, wow. Mm -hmm. And basically that, that is very traumatizing. Um, this causes for some people not to even be able to to experience um, 
sexual encounter. So sometimes, you know, a lot of people don't like to talk about it. You may be an older woman, let's say in your mid to late twenties, and you technically have not had any penetrational sex. And it's not because you're choosing not to, it's because your body is saying, Hey, I don't want to do this. <laughs> so there's Man. some therapy that goes along with that. Um, and, and that is not to say that, that there can't be a person who chooses not to have sex. You can choose not to have sex and that's okay. But there are instances where all of these things are because your brain is not able to compute to get you to do these things. Um, what is not a mental illness, and I want to point this out, um, les being lesbian or gay, that is not a mental illness. So those individuals who um, are... Um, that are homosexual and like to, um, they only are attracted to other women. That is not a mental illness. And people need to stop saying that that's a mental illness. That is nothing that I have listed for a mental illness. Um, you can absolutely have sex with whoever you want to and be an attracted who you, or be attracted to who you want to be attracted to. And that is okay. And people need to understand that. Um, and it doesn't lead to any of these uh, dysfunctions that I am speaking of. Also, there is, um, it's important to know that those women who are going through menopause, you know, let's be real, Tab, we getting, we getting older. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's right there. I feel like it's like right up the block. I see it. it, it the, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's right there for us. And, and menopause causes its own issues. And some of those issues have to do with lubrication. Um, and, you know, you're, you're able to, you have the desire, you want to have sex. But your body is saying like, hey, right now we're trying to get rid of these periods exactly, <laughs> and we're going to dry you up. And you're like, I have been a gusher my whole life and I cannot get wet right now. And that happens. Um, and that's just a part of menopause causing you not to be able to be lubricated, as well as the fact that being that your hormones are now basically in disarray. Things happen where your vagina actually starts to atrophy. So you start losing vaginal tissue and that becomes painful. So then that pain is the part that's the mental illness. Um, it's a really difficult word for even myself to pronounce um, dysponorrhea. Um, basically that's painful sex. Mm. Um, and menopause is one of the causes for that as well as sexual trauma. So there's just so many different things with women um, that can happen that deals with sex. And like I said, with men, you have your whole erectile dysfunction, uh, which basically is an inability um, to achieve an erection or to keep an erection. The premature ejaculation I talked about before, where there's just, just what I said, it's, it's premature ejaculation. But you also have men who have delayed ejaculation. And that's a very serious um, medical condition because what will happen is, is instead of your partner ejaculating, it actually goes back up into them. Oh, God. That can't oh, yeah. be good. <laughs> no, that's not good. <laughs> so that's, a, that's a, a, a medical condition that needs to be dealt with. So again, there are so many different ways. If you yourself feel um, that something's just not right with your sex life, you just need to go talk to someone. Um, for us ladies, obviously, we can go talk to our gynecologist. You may need to speak with a psychiatrist or therapist. But if you are not satisfied in your sexual life, there may be a reason that is so the, the, the treatment may be so simple. And you have been missing out on enjoying, you know, your 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 sexual exportation. The other thing I like to tell um, women is 
a lot of times um, sex didn't come with a manual. You know, you either were exposed to it with your friends because now we got our hormonal changes when we're teenagers or you've seen it on TV. Um, you may have never had something like an orgasm, not because you haven't been aroused or you haven't been with anybody. It could just be because you've never explored yourself. Um, so in the psychiatry world, masturbation is highly recommended. Um, just kind of sexual exportation and trying to figure out your own body will heighten your sexual experience. And that is my <laughs> spill on sex. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Kears, for that, because you definitely educated us, informed us, and gave us lots to think about. Um, so, guys, I mean, I know that sometimes these conversations can be, you know, um, I guess, uncomfortable, but we should be able to have these conversations. Um, I want to thank you so much for um, reiterating and reaffirming that, you know, being um, LB, being of the LBGTQ community, you know, a lesbian or homosexual or what have you, trans, it is not a mental illness. We have to break the stigma around that and stop telling people that something is wrong with them because of who they choose to love. So thank you so much for bringing attention to that. Um, and also just for, again, the deep dive into this, because again, you know, for many people, sex is one of those things that is just taboo to talk about. And that might be part of a mental illness because you should be able to have these conversations. And to your point, I mean, if you're, if you're having sex and you're not enjoying it, then you need to go see about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because who wants to have sex that's not enjoyable? What's the point? Yeah. <laughs> so, but unfortunately, there's some women who that's that's just they've accepted that, and a lot of it um, sometimes is cultural. Um, yeah, you know, you have your women who don't get to choose their mates, like they are arranged like marriages, arranged marriages, and different mm -hmm. things of that nature. Yeah, and I know yeah. I'm kind of you know I was making a joke about it, but in all seriousness, um, I, I want us to understand that again, some of these things that we think is just the norm, it may not always be the norm. And that's the point that I'm trying to make. We, we have, we may have, we, we may feel like, okay, this just is what it is. I just feel like this because that's what it is, or this is how sex is supposed to feel, or this is what my body is supposed to do. And that might not be it. It may definitely be tied to something much deeper than that. So make sure that you are again, communicating with your doctor or going to see um, a psychiatrist or whatever it is that you need, because all I emphasize on this show is about holistic wellness mind body and spirit and so in order for us to be whole we have to make sure that we're paying attention and that we are nurturing and taking care of every single area of us and that's our mind our body and our spirit all of those things so make sure that you are being attentive to you know um, because our body talks to us it tells us when something's going on it tells us when something's wrong so don't ignore those signs don't ignore those feelings you know go and get the help that you need so that you can be your whole authentic self so you know there are therapists who specialize in sex therapy so if you're having an issue with your sexual life it is better for you to get a sex therapist somebody who has been trained to deal specifically with sexual dysfunctions um, then maybe your, your regular therapist, because again, it's about honing in on what's wrong with you. Like you said, holistic care. So you need someone that's actually going to help you specifically. This is what they are trained to do. This is what they deal with so that you can get to a better you. Absolutely. All right. So, 
Um, I know that we touched on this throughout the conversation, but I would like for you to just kind of speak to the different treatment options for mental illness, because like you said, people are tend to shy away from it because they think, oh, they're going to put me on some drugs and I don't want no drugs. Are they going to do this? Or they? And so like you had, you know, um, identified in the previous segment that there are several different options that can be um, you know, diagnosed for you depending on what your condition is and the, you know, the level um, that it's at. Um, I know, you know, when I was dealing with my anxiety, one of the things that helped me was yoga and meditation. Um, it kind of helped me to kind of, you know, get control of my thoughts. Um, I also understand that if I'm dealing with, uh, you know, depression or even anxiety, that one thing that's been helpful to me has been running or just being active or just doing different things, just starting to move around. Because like you said, those levels and those neurotransmitters, they get to going and things start happening. So, um, so if you wouldn't mind just kind of elaborating and giving us um, some of the different treatment options um, for the various mental illnesses. No problem. Um, uh, we can start with depression. Um, obviously, of course, there are things like antidepressants, like I mentioned before. Um, depression has to do with uh, serotonin. So basically what the uh, mainstream treatment for depression usually starts with what's called serotonin I'm sorry, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And what that means is the antidepressant is basically going to stop the receptors in your brain that usually eat the serotonin. They're going to stop those receptors from eating it and let the serotonin be in your brain a little bit more. That is all it does. It ain't putting nothing in you. It didn't, didn't do anything. All it's doing is blocking the receptors from working. Um, and that's the mainstream um, medication treatment. But obviously, like we said, there are more. Um, you you already mentioned the yoga, the meditation, the exercising. All those things naturally produce serotonin and what's called endorphins, which are the other happy um, kind of neurotransmitters or hormones. Um, you can also have different types of therapy. You have your group therapy. You have what's called cognitive behavioral therapy, which basically helps you to um, reframe your thoughts. So people who may think, oh, you know, I can't do this. Well, that's not exactly true. You have to kind of retrain your thought. It's not that I can't do this. I need to figure out a way to get this done. Um, so the therapist helps you get to that point. You also have what's called DBT, um, dialectical um, behavioral therapy, uh, which is usually used for um, people who have um, borderline personality or who are very explosive. And it kind of helps them to control and regulate their emotions. You can have things like um, light therapy is very important in depression. Uh, what light therapy does, there are some people who are only depressed during the fall and winter months. Mm -hmm. The rest of the year, they feel good. But when fall hits and the, um, the basically we know that everything changes, the sky looks different, um, the environment is different, the trees look different, the flowers look different, all of that kind of homes in on that person and they become depressed during that time. So that the treatment for that is light therapy It's a certain wavelength of light and you're, rec you're um, recommended to have so much exposure to this light throughout the day in order to combat your your depression and it actually works. <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> um, I yeah. Was, I was actually, what is it called? Sad, I think. Um, yes. Seasonal yes. affective Seasonal disorder. Yes. And so my therapist did, you know, she did prescribe for me to get the light, the light box or what have you, because I do deal with that when the seasons change, I am just, and from, it literally starts like from November through like 
uh, January, February, like until the season starts to change. And it's everything. It's not being able to be outside because I like running and like being outdoors. Um, it's about, you know, get, it getting dark. And I, I'm a person that for some reason, sunshine just does something to me. Like I love to be in the sun. I am a sun chaser. And so in those winter months, I struggle heavily. Like I am just down and I didn't recognize it. And again, I just want to say it, that that's why it's so important to really be in tune with yourself. Because I remember when I had uterine fibroids and before I had the UFE procedure, I had really, really bad menstrual cycles, like terrible. Um, and I would notice that one of the things that I would deal with was like, like severe depression during that time. I would cry, I would be erratic, I would be arguing. It was crazy. And I started to understand that, okay, I look at the calendar. Oh, that's why I feel like this. So <laughs> I, 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 I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not going crazy. It's that time mm -hmm. of the month and my hormone imbalance and, and the stuff that I was dealing with with these fibroids and all of that stuff was causing that. So I was able to identify that with the seasonal, um, the seasonal depression I was able to identify how come I feel so good and energetic in the summer months and in the springtime <laughs> but then when the winter time comes I'm just like I don't even want to get out the bed I don't want to get from under the covers I don't want to do anything so again it's just really being in tune with what's going on with you and recognizing those things and identifying them and then getting the help so I didn't mean to interrupt please proceed oh no you're fine because <laughs> <laughs> it's very true that's that's very important that's a whole nother mental um, illness that a lot of people suffer from and yes the treatment is a light box and it sounds kind of silly like what's the light box going to do but it's exactly what you said is you're missing the sun mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> it's, it's, so we got to give you some artificial light so that you can be more functional um for some of the other um disorders like anxiety you would use um if you're going to use medications you would use something that is called um an analytic something like what people love to use are benzodiazepines and i say it like that because um Personally, I hate benzodiazepines. <laughs> and the reason I, I, I dislike them so much is not because they're not an effective medication. They really are. They really do work. However, they're a Band-Aid for your anxiety. They're masking your anxiety symptoms. And yes, when you take it, you feel better, you feel calmer, your physical symptoms are gone. However, when it's time to take that pill again, you are, your anxiety is through the roof. That mm. is not treating your anxiety. Yeah. Um, and those medications are things like Xanax, Ativan, um, Librium, um, Clonopin. Um, there are some people who need those medications and, and I do prescribe those medications, but you always prescribe them with caution because they have a high potential of abuse. And you can also withdraw from those medications. And I think that's the part that people don't know is that those specific medications work on um, GABA, and that's another <laughs> neurotransmitter hormone thing in your brain. And when it works on that GABA, um, it basically causes GABA um, to um, regulate other neurotransmitters that when they're down and up, glutamate and glycine or whatever, it goes to this whole little chemical thing. Whenever those things are disrupted, when you pull away the benzodiazepine, you can go into a withdrawal seizure. And benzodiazepines, alcohol, and barbiturates are the only three drugs out there in the uh, world right now that if you withdraw from them and have a withdrawal seizure, you're going to die. Whoa. You could die. Um, so that's why it's so important to make sure you are being monitored with those type of medications. There are other um, anxiolytics that aren't so 
quote unquote dangerous, um, such as um, Vistaril, which basically is in the same family as Benadryl, except it doesn't make you sleepy. There's something like Neurontin. Now, people may hear the word Neurontin and think, oh, no, that's what my doctor gave me for my diabetes. You are absolutely correct. Neurontin actually is a nerve pain, but that nerve pain helps with anxiety. So there's a bunch of different ways you can go. Uh, what we also like to tell people that are anxious, you have to ground yourself. So my um, biggest example that I give my patients is we do not realize our position in the world, in the universe, in the atmosphere. We never kind of take a look at what we're doing. And so what I like to tell people to do is, is if you're getting worked up and you're starting to feel your anxiety symptoms, take a second to yourself, close your eyes, Think about what you hear. What are you hearing? What are you smelling? What are you feeling? Feel your feet against the ground if you're standing up. Right now, I am sitting down. I feel that my leg is touching the couch, but I also feel that my back is touching a pillow. Being able to ground yourself can control your anxiety. So there are ways to deal with anxiety without going the medication route. And that's when your other things like yoga and therapies come into to play as well. Um, you also have to be able to, to just think about what's going on, slow it down. I think we, we're so instantly gratified in life and we're always chasing the next thing mm -hmm. that we just don't slow it down. You literally, is is meditation. Just slow it down for just a second. Take two minutes for yourself. Go inside the bathroom, whatever you need to do. Just calm yourself down. And those are actually treatment options. And, and that sounds like, hey, that, that's not anything the doctor's prescribing. Yes, it is. I'm telling you to go into the bathroom. Yep, that's what I want you to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, things like um, being that we talked about mania, when you're manic, <laughs> it is so traumatizing. <laughs> and you have to take uh, a mood stabilizer. Uh, most people who are manic have to be on mood stabilizers. This is one of the few mental illnesses where I say that medication is almost a must. Depression, anxiety, maybe. You maybe not, but mania usually you have to be on a mood stabilizer. And basically, what um, mood stabilizers like lithium, Depakote, and Trilepto do is just that they stabilize your mood to a point where you can either you and your doctor can figure out how to get you to a hypomanic stage where you still can be very functional, still be happy, still being able to get your job done, still be creative. Um, or if you're the type of person that's like, no, this is not working, I need to just be kind of even killed. That's basically what the mood stabilizers do. And mm -hmm. with um, also with mood stabilizers, not mood stabilizer, I'm sorry, um, with mania, a good thing to remember is you got to get sleep. So mm -hmm. a lot of times it's about having good sleep hygiene. That is also a treatment option for mental illness. Um, you know, go, remembering that your bedroom is for sex and sleep, not doing work or exercise in your bedroom, having a specific bedtime, knowing that if you're not falling asleep, you need to actu actually physically get out of the bed for 15 to 30 minutes and then try again. Um, having a um, set awakening time, all of those things kind of help get you um, into the good sleep habits that cause you to get the proper sleep that you need in order to be functional. So that is also a treatment option. Um, so uh, with something like psychosis, you might, again, I, I bring up the medication just because I want people to, to hear that there are other options um, with the 
standard, you know, exercise, yoga, um, going to groups and everything. Um, antipsychotics are, are very uh, popular right now because people do have psychosis. Um, and the antipsychotics basically work on the dopamine that we talked about earlier in order to get rid of your um, psychotic symptoms. But most of that has to be coupled with supportive therapy. And basically supportive therapy is just letting you know that it's okay. Everything's okay. We're going to get through this. Um, so there are a lot of different treatment options um, that you can actually have when you have a mental illness. And it's not all about your medications. A lot of it has to do with just changing your lifestyle. Um, there are certain foods that can trigger your mental illness. There are certain drinks that can trigger your mental illness. Um, there are certain environmental cues that happen. Sometimes it's about knowing that, you know, your environment, if you, if you live in an area that you find to be stressful and you need to get out of this area, yes, okay, so you might not be able to pick up and move today, but you can probably make your inside environment a little bit more pleasurable for you, even if right outside your door is not. So there's just so many different things you can do. Mm. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Um, it sounds like, like you said, there is a vast amount of treatment options. Um, and what I really like is that you really honed in on or um, advocated for the, the natural options, of course. Like you said, you know, some of us, or, you know, some of us do need the medication. If you need the medication, definitely take the medication, you know, with the hopes of weaning yourself and not having to stay on the medication. Um, but the fact that you said, I, I appreciate when doctors are like, they address the lifestyle, they address what you're eating, they address your, you know, your physical um, fitness and things of that, because those are all, of course, factors, and they play such a major part. In, and sometimes we don't think about that. Our diets are horrible. We don't work out. We don't do any of these things. And we wonder why we're sluggish and tired and depressed and things. Those are all factors. Like, so we have to make sure that we are. And of course, I'm not the diet police, right? Because I love some hot wings just as much as the next person. <laughs> um, but it's about that balance and, and being able to identify and being able to kind of push the plate away or push the glass away or those things that um, you know, do have adverse effects on us. So thank you so much. And I appreciate your transparency and, and you know, you sharing what you are um, in support of and even, you know, the drugs that you say, I don't like these because to your point, there are, you know, medications out there that are just a Band-Aid. And if you're taking these, you know, me medications and it's just giving you temporary relief, but then you have to pop that next pill again, um, you know, that's a signal that you need to, you know, really um, put that time in to, like we said, get that that help that you need from a psychiatrist, a psychologist, what have you, um, instead of just, you know, trying to numb the pain temporarily. Another thing that I forgot, which is most important, spiritual balance. Um, and that's, 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 you know, your, your relationship with God. Um, and just, you, it, you know, some people think, oh, when you say spiritual, you're just talking about God. No, I'm not. I'm just talking about your, your spiritual journey. You know, what, what do you believe in? You can believe in something totally different than what I believe in. Whatever the case is, just believe in something, <laughs> you know, and just kind of tone, you know, tune into that. And, you know, for some people, it may be that they need to go to, 
therapy sessions with their pastor. They may need to go to groups that are specifically given within their church system. Or it may be that someone needs to go to, you know, you can go to a temple. You can do whatever the case is. That is also a part of getting you to be overall well, um, your spiritual connection. Absolutely. Because even when you spoke about being grounded, right? Like if you have that spiritual connection uh, or that spiritual relationship with whatever your um, ideology or religion or what have you is, because we're not here to tell you who to pray to or what to do, but just, it, I, I found that, you know, having a spiritual grounding or a spiritual foundation, having something to stand on in times when you're in distress or something like, you know, um, whatever, um, mm-hmm. being able to, um, to, to, to lean on that or to, you know, use that um, has definitely been helpful. I know I, there's, lots of uh experiences that I've had in my life and I say you know I don't know what I would do without my higher power because I might have lost my mind a long time ago (laughs) (laughs) yeah a long time ago but and I don't want to go too far off topic but um because this goes into the whole stigma of therapy definitely Mm -hmm. spirituality is a great part of that holisticness that we were talking about but now and I might step on some toes here church folks getting therapy is okay <laughs> Go yes into, you know because a lot of times we want to tell folks to just take it to the altar take it to the lord just pray about it and that can be the worst advice that you can give people sometimes we have to understand that god gave us therapy god gave us this mm-hmm. medicine god gave us you know, this science so that we would be able to to heal and to be whole so um, stop telling folks that they don't got to go to counseling and they just need to give it to God. Don't tell them that because part of giving it to God, God won't tell them, go find you a therapist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. Or a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, okay. This has been such a robust conversation. Um, I just really, really appreciate you. I can't thank you enough for all of the information and you know everything that you're giving us all of this insight is just truly empowering and informative and i can just kind of go on and on and on about it but um i want to ask you this last question um which is if we have family or friends um or people that we care about right and we see that you know they are having these struggles or these challenges um from a support perspective how are some ways that, or what is some um, advice or encouragement that you can give to those who may have family or friends that are dealing with mental illnesses? Of course, okay. Um, the first thing I would like to give out is the suicide prevention number. Um, you do not have to do this alone. You are not alone. If you ever are having thoughts of um, harming yourself, you feel like you're losing control, please reach out to the national number, which is one 800 273 If you don't feel like picking up the phone, you would rather text. You can text 741-741 to be connected with a trained um, crisis counselor. Um, That's just very important to get out there. Now, some of the things you can do to support your family member is to remember that your family member or your loved one is just as scared as you are. Um, This is new for them, and they're the ones going through it. Um, Be supportive, uh, but not judgmental. 
um, is, is very important. And um, do things like educate yourself. I know um, sometimes as physicians, we get so annoyed with the Googlers, but yeah, Dr. Google was out there and uh, <laughs> you have to educate yourself. But remember that someone's been training a majority of their adult life to deal with this. So um, please take their information that they're trying to give you um, and just be uh, open to suggestions. Um, don't basically um, baby your loved one. They don't need you to watch them. What they need is to know that when they're in crisis, that they can feel safe, that they can come to you. Um, don't don't crowd them. And then people do that a lot. It's like, hey, did you take your medication? Did you take your medication? Did you go to the doctor? Did you do this? Did you sleep? you can't get on top of them like that because it makes people shut down and it also makes them start lying. And they tell you yes, when they know good and well that they flushed them pills two weeks ago. Right. So, <laughs> so you want to just be supportive. Um, another thing to remember as a, um, uh, as a loved one or friend, remember that you must take care of yourself in order to help the person who's going through the mental illness. So don't let it get to a point where it's starting to get at you. It's starting to eat you. You're not sleeping. Now you're anxious. Um, you're having these kind of obsessive thoughts. You want to make sure you're taking care of yourself. The other thing to remember is if you are in crisis and you're having any thoughts to hurt yourself, others, or property, you want to go to the emergency room. The emergency room is your friend. Now, I say that, and I want to caution people about um, uh, the emergency room. When you go to the emergency room, you need to already have in your mind two things are going to happen. Number one, either you're going to get the help you need, they're going to give you some resources, they're going to give you some recommendations, or number two, they are going to commit you. Now, let me tell you what that means. Uh, a lot of people uh, get very upset and confused when they go to the emergency room, like, hey, I drove myself to the emergency room. I came here to tell you all that I was in crisis, that maybe I'm having some thoughts to hurt myself, but I really don't want to do that. And now you're telling me that I'm being transported to a psychiatric facility. That does happen. Um, the emergency room, as well as um, um, licensed counselors, um, doctors, the therapists, uh, and police, as well as judges, have the right to commit you. And what that means, we're in the state of Georgia, so I'm gonna I'm gonna speak from Georgia. Although I have knowledge of New York and New Jersey as well because I trained there, but we're gonna talk about Georgia. In Georgia, there's a thing called 1013, and those people who have been 1013 hate that. <laughs> and yeah. basically, what it means, it takes it sort of takes your rights away. It takes your right away of saying, hey, I want to leave this hospital. Um, psychiatric holds are not like medical holds. Medical holds, you can tell them, hey, I don't want to get this blood transfusion. I'm out of here. Let me sign my AMA papers and I'm on my way. You can't do that when you are committed, when you are 1013. What that basically means is that for the next 72 hours, um, you are going to be watched by doctors, nurses, techs, um, a whole treatment team, you, you got your social workers, you got your discharge planners, something's happening. And it usually is against your will when you are 1013. Um, and nine times out of 10, you're going to be transferred from the emergency room to a psychiatric facility. Um, and there are many psychiatric facilities across the state of Georgia that are very good. The um, I'm a psychiatrist, so obviously I believe in commitments because some people are just unaware of the damaging effects of their mental illness. But I'm also a realist, and there are some people who are inappropriately um, committed. And 
I just caution everybody, just remain calm. The more agitated you get when you're in the emergency room, the worse that it becomes for you. If you're arguing, you're cussing, you're throwing things, you're fighting, there, it just makes you look like you need to stay in the hospital. When you can remain calm and talk about what's going on with you and what you feel that you need and your reasoning for going to the emergency room, nine times out of 10, they will discharge you if you're not a true threat to yourself. The other thing to remember as a uh, family member or um, just, just someone who's in support, you may have um, a loved one who is literally unaware of their mental illness. They cannot take care of themselves. And you are choosing to say, hey, I'm going to be that person that's going to take care of you. And you can apply for guardianship um, of an adult person. Um, basically, what you would need to do, and a lot of people don't know this, what you need to do is you need to go down to the probate court in your county. And you need to present um, to the judge your evidence as to why you believe that this person can no longer make decisions for themselves. And a judge will issue either a temporary guardianship or and, and that can eventually lead to a permanent guardianship where you now become this person's advocate and voice. And you can do things like say, hey, you're not doing well right now. You're going to the emergency room and you can take them to the emergency room and have them to stay in a psychiatric facility, um, most times against their will, but that's your right because you've now been given that person's rights. So um, that's a very sen sensitive um, topic, but it is the route that some people have to take. What I would like to tell those of you who are thinking about guardianship or who already have guardianship, you can't just throw in the towel when you want to. A lot of people um, you know, get their loved ones in the hospital. And I spend a lot of time educating families. You can't just say, I don't want them to come home anymore because I, I, I don't feel safe. I'm going to tell you, I understand you don't feel safe. However, you chose to go and get this guardianship. This is your responsibility. And unfortunately, the state says, I have to send this person home to you. So you need to provide us with something so we can get this person out your home if you don't want them too. So um, people need to realize once you start getting their checks and stuff, you become responsible. And that means they are always going to come back to your home unless you can do something like provide them with a group home, which is also a good option. Um, there are just some people who can't function out in the world on their own and they need to be in group homes. And so it is important to remember that that is something that you could do group homes, transitional homes, independent living. These are places that um, can help be more supportive to your loved one than you actually can. There's all, it's also important to remember that there are substance abuse um, clinics and um, units out there um, where you can, number one, go get detox if you need to be detoxed. And number two, you can get the treatment that you need specifically for the um, substance that you abuse. Because let's be real, unless you're in the, the pattern of abuse with the, um, the substances, there's nothing that you or I can do for another person. They have to be willing to get that treatment. So it's mm -hmm. important to remember that those options are out there in the forms of rehabs, clinics, um, supportive environments. Um, one of the biggest ones in Georgia is um, sober living. Um, so, the, the, you know, it's just, it, it's options out there. There are options out there for everything. Um, but just remember, number one is that the person is going through these crises. They need someone to just be there. Sometimes it's just to listen is most important. Mm -hmm. 
Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate you going in depth and providing, you know, these resources um, and letting us know that there are options out there. Um, I can kind of cross that off my list because I always at the end of every podcast for this series, I've been providing the National Suicide Awareness Hotline, as well as the one for um, NAMI. Of course, we know the National Alliance of Mental Illness, and I'll provide that one before we go. Um, but thank you again just so much. Um, this was a privilege and a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Um, the information that you've provided us has just been invaluable. Um, I, I know, I'm not going to say I hope, I know that our listeners will be blessed by this message um, because they'll be educated they'll be informed. And when you're educated and when you're informed, that means that you're now empowered. You're empowered to do something about your mental wellness. You know, our slogan here is that when you know better, you can do better. And I'm always trying to bring people to this show that can help us know better so that we can do better. We can do better for ourselves and we can do better for our family members. So before we go, um, I want you to, of course, provide your contact information, you know, your social media handles and all of that good stuff. How can they find you? Um, if there's someone out there that may be looking for a psychiatrist, um, you know, how can they reach you? Okay. Um, so my office phone number is 470-785-9433. My practice name is called Aligned Cognition Healthcare Services. And the reason I named it that um, quickly is um, basically it's all about getting your your mind right. It's getting it to align with your purpose. Um, and that's why I called it Aligned Cognition. Uh, the website is www.alignedcognition.com. And that is spelled A-G-L. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got to know how to spell first. It is A-L-I-G-N-E-D-C-O-G. N-I-T-I-O-N and .com, of course. Um, you can also email me at alignedcognition at mdofficemail.com. My social media handles um, are just the name, Align Cognition, um, for Twitter and for Facebook. Um, no, I'm sorry, for Twitter and Instagram for Twitter. I said it wrong again. I am. I apologize. That's okay. <laughs> for Facebook and Instagram, it is Align Cognition. For Twitter, that was already taken by somebody. And so it is called Cognition Doc, D-O-C. Um, and, uh, you know, please look me up if anyone ever needs any help. I am a completely telehealth um, provider. And let me explain to you why. This has... Um, a small part to do with COVID and another part that has nothing to do with COVID. I find that it's easier um, for a person to be more comfortable in their own environment, whether that is you, you have your own special place that you like to go, if it's in your house, if you need to do it in a car because you are working two jobs and the only time you have is you know your breaks, uh, wherever you need to be is where I will be for you. So we're not limited to you actually traveling to my office and having to wait outside and then coming to me and then having to travel all the way back to your home. It also gives me the capability to treat anyone in the state of Georgia. So I am a, a firm believer that um, a lot of people travel to Atlanta because it's our capital, it's the big, you know, it's like the biggest city um, to get 
their treatment and that's medical and psychiatric treatment. And you don't have to do that. You should be able to get your treatment no matter where you are um, in the state of Georgia. So just uh, look me up and hopefully we can connect and get you started on a path. Now, I will say people look at my website. They look at my <laughs> my social media and they do not see that big. I do not take insurance. And let me explain to you why I don't. I don't take insurance because I don't like the idea of someone else controlling your destiny. And that's literally what insurance companies do. They mm-hmm. tell you what you can and cannot do. They tell you what they will and will not pay for. They limit your ability to get some of the treatments that you can. Now, is insurance important? Yes. And we will use your insurance if you just so happen to need medications, if you need to be hospitalized or any other imaging that you may need. But as far as my services, this is between me and you. It's between me and you as the parents and your child, and no one else will be interfering with that. I provide psychiatric evaluations psychotherapy, coaching, as well as I provide assessments, um, an assessment tool for those of you that are struggling with your cognition or feel like your mental illness is kind of messing with your ability to concentrate. I have um, the ability to do some assessments um, that are of extra service. So there are a lot of things we can do, and I hope that I am able to help someone out there. But remember that it's all about giving yourself small victories every single day Every day you do something, no matter how minute it may feel, you do something that you can give yourself credit for. And today it may just be that you tuned into this podcast. Tomorrow it may be that, you know, you were able to get out of bed earlier. It doesn't matter how small it is. Just give yourself that credit every day. And then let's give yourself credit for reaching out when you know you need help. Yes. Dr. Jasmine Kears, thank you so, so, so much um for just being here and um again i'm just this is i mean i'm 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 listening as we're speaking and i'm like this is gonna be one of the best podcasts ever like i can't wait (laughs) i can't wait to replay it back and listen to it it's just been it's just been so enlightening i mean i learned so much and again this is just one of those topics that i'm just really 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 passionate about it's really dear to my heart i'm passionate about everything but this one is just extra special um, and mainly, like I said, because I've had my own challenges with it. And that's why I feel it's really important to, to share, you know, the, the resources and the information and, and all of that. So just thank you again for being with us. Um, I'm going to just leave it right there. I'm not going to add nothing else to this. I will, for the record, um, just give that number out again, because I want to make sure that we close out with that. But if you all are in need of help, again, the suicide Prevention Lifeline is 800-273-8255. Also, if you are familiar with um, NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, they also have a helpline and that's 800-950-6264. Or you can, um, if you're in a crisis, you can text NAMI, which is N-A, M as in Michael, I as in Igloo, to 741741 for 24-7 confidential and free crisis counseling. Thank you all for tuning in to the Woman Empowered Women podcast and have a blessed day.